Hello, everybody. Welcome along to the Event Industry News Podcast. My name is James Dixon, wishing you all a very good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whenever or wherever you tune in to the podcast from, be it the far-flung reaches of the globe or right here in beautiful old England. Um, and our guest on today's podcast, we welcome Sean Hines. Sean is the CEO of Manchester Central, a venue that many of our podcast followers will be aware of and will have perhaps either worked in or visited at some point during their lives or career. Sean, a very warm welcome to the podcast today. James, thank you very much. Lovely to, uh, lovely to be here virtually. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. The joy of technology brings two parties together who are actually only about 35 miles apart. Um, ah. Sean, you're, 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 you're in your office uh, at Manchester Central. I'm just on the other side of the Pennines in Yorkshire. Ah, very good. All right. Yeah. Well, it's all, I have to say, it's all happening over here today. We, um, we're just a few days away from the start of the Conservative Party conference, which is always a particularly busy time for the venue. So, um, and, and this year, unlike no other year, really, there's just so much uncertainty about what's happening and how it's happening. So, uh, well, well, having, well, yeah. having a chat with you this afternoon. <laughs> is a very welcome respite from the crazy stuff that's going on. Well, to put, to put it into context for people, we'll, we'll go off track just a little bit, Sean. Yeah. We're recording this on Wednesday, the 25th of September, uh, the day that Parliament has been recalled following yesterday's ruling that the suspension of Parliament was, in fact, uh, unlawful. Yes. <laughs> uh, so so the, it, it, it's huge stuff happening politically over here. And, um, and I, I wasn't aware that you were about to host the Conservative Party conference. Um, what a time to do so. What a time to get that. Uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of focus and perhaps, you know, s s some, um, some great uh, opportunity for you guys to have the, the venue in the spotlight. Well, definitely. I mean, we, we always know when we have these events that the, particularly if it's a sitting government, you know, basically the seat of government moves up to Manchester, moves into the venue for the period of conference. Um, that's the case this year. But of course, we've, we've got a, a political situation that's quite unprecedented as well. So, and, and actually, because of what happened yesterday, you've potentially got Parliament running concurrently with a party conference, which again is, is a very unusual circumstance not not unique funnily enough it has happened before um I think the last time was in 2001 um after september the 11th funnily enough but um yeah. but yeah next week is going to be uh, it's going to be quite entertaining but it, it's a great segue into our conversation because you know it what happens next week is we've got a huge technical um infrastructural demand on the venue because yeah. the, the consumption that, that, that all of these interested parties are going to have you know it's, it's not like a normal business conference where you've got you've got the client you've got the AV package and you've got the delegates and they've all got their various different things going on you know this is this is a global media event um, and therefore the connectivity that we have to facilitate for both you know printed media but also video media mm. streaming media delegate media you know rory stewart doing his own podcast on facebook every five minutes um <laughs> it's it, it's an incredible demand on the venue but but one that we're very proud to be able to accommodate and it's partly because of some of the, the infrastructure that we've invested in and your 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 viewers listeners may know that up here in in Manchester, we've got Media City, which is absolutely yes. Uh, outside of London, is 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 really probably the the heart of media for the UK. And mm -hmm. um, you know, there's we've got bespoke connectivity 
out to Media City, kind of broadcast quality, which right. shoots everything out over to that. And I, listen, I, I love using colloquial terms for stuff that's really high tech. I still call my radio a wireless, for example, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, but but we're, we're, we're shooting all of the, this, this, this media and all of, all of that data out into Media City and, there, and it gets broadcast globally. Um, and, and the city of Manchester actually has a, um, a fairly significant sort of closed loop, sorry, closed loop fiber network as well, which we're connected to as well, called the loop actually. Right. Um, and, and that's something that from a, as Manchester promotes its tech credentials, that's something that we, that we promote quite extensively. And if clients need it, we can plug them into that and, and give them as much bandwidth as, as they want. I mean, we're already, we've got two one gig connections coming into the venue. One is via radio, one is via fiber. Uh, and then if we need to, we can open the door to the loop and it's kind of whatever you want, basically. So it's, it's fascinating, really, when you consider the history of the building, you know, for, for those of you who are listening um, or watching today's podcast who don't know, you know, the Manchester Central began life as a railway station. You know, for those of you who've been there and you know that iconic structure and that the arch that, 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 that forms over the, the, the main part of the building, um, it, it's obvious that when you look at it, then it began life as a railway station. So to be where we are now in 2019, where, you know, it is arguably one of the most technologically advanced venues that we've got certainly in this country and, and, and perhaps in Europe as well when we talk about that connectivity element of it it's fascinating to see how the, the venue has changed and evolved over the years oh absolutely I talk uh, a lot about that when, when I talk about the history of the venue and I say how we, how we started out we were you know our, our role was about connecting people you know great journeys would, would would start from here you know people would return from their travels and they would arrive here, people would, would connect and congregate together because of rail travel. Yeah. And, really, and what we're doing now is we're just facilitating those same kind of connections. We're just connecting people in a, in a business perspective or in an entertainment perspective, academic perspective, education perspective, economic perspective. So, so there's some great synergy really between what, what the history of this, this building was and, and yeah. where we are now, you know, and, um, and we look, you, you described the, the shape and, and the iconic nature of the venue very, very, very eloquently. And anyone that knows the venue will, will have that image in their mind. I think the Arch of Manchester Central is one of the most sort of photographed or, 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 or reproduced images. When you look at a Manchester skyline, you, you always see that. And, and we're, we're, we're really proud of that, that heritage, but we're also proud of the role that we've got to play in, in making sure that we, we remain relevant and we remain contemporary in a, in a very fast moving world and, and uh that, that's an interesting point thing. Yeah, yeah, in, in terms of remaining contemporary in a fast moving world you know I've, I've spoken to venues a lot of different venues over over the last few years and particularly do, doing this podcast and um they they understand the need to be um, not necessarily the cutting edge, but to, in order to be able to facilitate the needs of the modern event organizer. Um, but with that go a lot of challenges. You know, people can put four, five, five six-year strategies together to enhance and improve their venue, get to the end of it and find that what they did at the start of the project is now not necessarily obsolete, but, you know, three, four years out of date. So it's an ever-evolving process, isn't it? There's no point, presumably, that you as a venue operator can ever say, Brilliant. That's us. That's yeah, us done. done. Few years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're quite right. I mean, we we've had uh, look, we've had good Wi-Fi for many years. We had free good Wi-Fi for many years. But um, even even in the last 
six months just over the course of this year, we've made some extensive changes to it. We've replaced all of our access points. We've increased the number of concurrent users that we've got. We've we contracted with a specialist company to do some almost like heat mapping of when you're actually uh, working your way through the venue, where yeah. the signal hotspots are. And what it was quite funny, we found that some of our access points were sort of they were they were turned up too high. You know, they were in, in spinal tap terms. They were at eleven. <laughs> and, um, what was happening, interestingly, was that people would come into the venue with their device and it would connect to this particular hotspot at the early part of the, the beginning of the venue. As they made their way through the venue, that because that, that access point was turned up so high, the, the, the device was reluctant to let go. Um, right, yes, and so yeah. what we were getting, we were getting these little, uh, we were getting these pockets where certain access points were trying to manage all of the demand and of course getting getting clogged. So we've, um, we, we, we spent quite a significant sum on, on getting all of it mapped out, replacing a number of access points, repositioning them to a point where we've got a really even and level coverage throughout the venue. So that wherever you are, and, and you know our venue and, and the listeners, viewers might know as well, but we have different layouts, we have different formats that we can create. So whatever we've got going on, we can guarantee pretty much that you're going to get good, reliable, um, you know, a, a large signal strength bandwidth or, or, or whatever. That's your own device which is um you know really important i think up to something like th theoretically thirty-one thousand concurrent users can log in and anyone that's been to a, a taylor swift concert wants to do a selfie of themselves you know um standing behind the stage or in front of the stage i should say we'll, we'll realize sometimes in arenas that can be really tricky it, it um, can be yeah and particularly in light of your old structure as well just to, 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 just to point out that i was i was very keen to ask um from a connectivity point of view and, and when it comes to wi-fi and, and cellular signal as well the mobile networks uh, how the venue behaves with the iron structure because you you've got that original victorian iron structure that goes right up and over you know hundreds of tons of metal there um when you were starting to really look at putting in really, really good Wi-Fi, whenever that may have been, 10, 15 years ago, how did the actual um, makeup and the architecture of the building affect how you delivered yeah. that? That's a great question. And I, I don't know because I wasn't around then. What I do know is that when we did the remapping this year, we, were, we, we could see how the shape uh, and, and, and the, the fabric of the building was affecting that. And interesting, you mentioned phone signals and we... We, anyone that's made it, tried to make a phone call on a moving train will know that once you're inside that metal box, it's sometimes a bit difficult. Um, yeah. And so we've got in, internally, we've got our own, I suppose for want of a better word, repeaters for yeah. most of the uh, mobile signal, um, for most of the carriers, I should say. Um, and so as well as offering robust Wi-Fi, we need to make sure that we can offer 4G, reliable 4G coverage across networks as well. And so increasingly, that's an important part of our operation because we're seeing a lot of delegates that are coming in, they're on corporate contracts or they've got, you know, they've got big data packages and they say, you know, what, I'm not, I'm not even going to waste the 30 seconds needed to log <laughs> into the Wi-Fi yeah. because I don't have that much time, uh, but I am going to use my 4G and I need it to work. And, and that's important. And, and it is, but I suppose that the, the the, the knock on to that from a production point of view with, with a lot of the big conferences, particularly that you'll have uh, using the venue is, is from a, the, the live streaming aspect of it. The companies who are coming in and live streaming events um, or indeed the TV uh, companies, you know, the, the television media that are coming in that they 
people will want a really good internet connection. They may want hardwired. They may be happy with the Wi-Fi connection. But a lot of these operators and live streaming companies and video companies rely on a 4G backup as well, don't they? As well, you know, so it, it, God forbid, you know, it all goes down. They flip over to a 4G mobile connection through two or three different providers, and yeah, they well, need to know that the 4G is as good as uh, anywhere else, don't they? They're absolutely right. And I, I, as you were talking, I was just reminded of an event we had last year where we, they came in and, and they said, right, we're going to have our own, we want our own Wi-Fi networks. So obviously using our infrastructure and, and we were able to create for them their own dedicated Wi-Fi network. And because some clients want to do that, we allow them to do that. But anyway, for whatever reason, it, uh, you know, it was fairly problematic because of some of the hardware that they had and some of their own setup. Um, and so we had a situation where uh, it was a big retail event, as it happens, and they needed to plug in point of sale and, um, you know, the ability to trade live was important to them. Yeah. In the space of um, probably just about, it was about an hour and a bit, we, because they realized that their network wasn't going to work, we basically replicated the whole lot straight away with our own network. And we, we, as you say, we run, we run hardwire points, we run Wi-Fi points. We're very proud of our ability to respond really, really quickly. You know, we've got a small dedicated team, but there's, not, there's nothing they don't know about how we can make connectivity work within this venue because of the high profile events that we operate. So um, yeah, resiliency um, and, and sort of failover systems is, is critical for us. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's an important part of our, the reason we've got two one gig connections, for example, is exactly that because even though our radio connection has been bulletproof, the day that we need it, you know, something might happen and we just need that backup. So we've got the fiber if we need it as well. Yeah. And of course, everybody's going to have different demands, aren't they? You're going to have one type of event come in and they'll say, look, we want uh, a, a visitor network, we want a production network, and we want a network for the speakers who are speaking at our conference to be able to get on, you know, and we want those all dedicated with a certain amount of bandwidth. You may have something that comes in that's a consumer event and it's really really just a case of yeah access the public wi-fi so every every event is going to place different demands on what you've got there which is why it's so important nowadays as a venue to, to have um adaptability and a team in-house that can then deliver that adaptability that's right and we do all of our event our uh, our it function we, we, we we've got venue IT function, which is the kind of, as you'd expect, the office support, the help desk, the stuff that, that my colleagues and my team need to actually get their job done. Um, and then we've got our event IT group as well. All, all forms part of the overall management structure, but the two of them work uh, separately as required, but will help each other out when needed as well. Mm -hmm. um, and we as a venue, we've got an in-house AV partner as well that will work very closely with us on um, you know, where we've got clients that want to bring in fairly sophisticated uh, AV solutions, you know, whether it's video presentation, whether it's, I don't know, augmented reality in some cases, all of the fancy bells and whistles that we're seeing now in some of the events, we, we, we've got an in-house partner as well that we can work with. So our job really is about facilitating and enabling the creativity of our clients. Um, but in some cases, we also help inspire them as well, because if we can give them infrastructure that says, you know what, the sky's the limit, yeah. that, that helps them deliver that experience, that kind of one-off, unique, best of the best experience that they've never done before, but they come to a venue like ours and they can actually deliver it. Um, yeah. so we, we get, we get uh, some of the most exciting meetings that I sometimes join in on is when we're talking about what's, the, what, what's possible here, what could we do? 
you know, working with specialist providers, working with the infrastructure we've got, and in some cases drawing on the infrastructure of Manchester as well to say, okay, well, look, media cities down the road, can we use that, for example? Yeah. How important has it been to sort of develop those those wider relationships? Because um, as you allude to, you've got this connectivity with Media City. You've got the venue, which is, you know, again, for those of you who don't know, it is literally in the heart of the city, um, which gives you, I guess, a great opportunity to link with other venues, with other facilities, with uh, places uh, that dovetail with the needs of your own customers. Perfect. I mean, a great... Um we had a great example of that recently where we had a medical conference and we were able to connect up to some of the university facilities and they had effectively live studios, medical studios, operating theatres for want of a better description. Mm. And we were able to live stream activity from a clinical environment straight into the conference floor. So you actually had practitioners working on clinical um, processes over at university. And then it was being effectively live streamed and then almost commented on, curated and, and described by the academics and professionals that were located in the business session here at the venue. So any delegate that could come along would actually come along and, and effectively be inside that live clinical process. Um, so one example, but, but a, a, good, a good example of the collaboration that we've got here in Manchester, because you, you don't live too far away. You know the city. Is, it's, a, it's a big city, but it's not geographically. It's not a big city. It's and not. What, it's, it's, it's one of those I call it's a walkable city. You know, you, yeah. once you're in the heart of the city, you are better off on foot. I couldn't agree more. And, um, you know, we've got the universities just over there and we've got the, the hotels. We're, in, we're a really short distance over here to walk. You know, we've got 2,500 hotel rooms within something like a five minute walk. It's, uh, it, 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 it's, it's astonishing like that. And I think the, the university is a great, a, a great example. And we, we've, we've hosted some really, you know, high profile medical events. And I think one, one, one another one that springs to mind and, and it, to be fair, it didn't really draw on our technical capability, but it gives you a sense of the technical relationship that we've got, which was the Christie hospital was one of the pioneers of the proton beam therapy treatment, um, uh, that, that's, that's been developed. And, and Manchester Christie was one of the, if not the first in the UK, I think to have this. And we, we hosted the first proton beam, conference here very soon after the the Christie facility went live and that's a great example of the the academics and the leaders of, of that 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 real life medical capability contributing to the business events space here in Manchester by saying look Manchester is at the heart of the development of this treatment so yeah. actually we can bring that in to a business event and attract you know delegates from around the world leaders of their field um, and not only can they, um, you know, can they come to a great conference, but they're actually in the city where we've got a real life working example of this treatment, you know, just a couple of miles down the road. And it's fascinating that you give the, the, the medical example that you gave of the, the, the live streaming of the, the procedure or whatever it was from, from, you know, what is undoubtedly a very, very controlled, sterile environment that you probably without huge expense and assessment could not replicate within the actual venue itself and when you think about people's approach to live streaming and technology 
bringing about the death of the face-to-face -face meeting and the live event, there's a perfect example of how actually it's done the complete opposite. It's actually been able to deliver something into a live event that without that technology, you could not even comprehend of having there and then on a stage in front of an audience. You're quite right. And we talk, talk about this a lot, um, various panel sessions about, you know, what, what is the role of, of, of streaming? You know, is it, is it a threat? Is it an opportunity? Well, from the experience that I've seen, it is just a massive opportunity in terms of expanding the scope of the potential audience um, and the marketplace that some of the organizers have got in terms of extending the life of the event that they're, that they're creating. Um, it's uh, uh, just lost my train of thought, but, but I think um, what, what it does for me fundamentally is it increases the, the intrinsic value yeah. wanting to be present next time because you, you you almost get this heightened sense of of, of actually being there because you've if, if you've attended an event via um live stream uh, in mm. one year and you get a sense of what it's about and if it's a good event with good content good speakers in in, in a, an engaging program that you say actually this is really really interesting then there's a very strong chance that next year you want to be there in person. Yeah, and you're going to make sure your diary is free. You're not watching it. The sense of, of the time that we spend together physically takes on so much more value because we're so used to, as we are today, you know, <laughs> we're looking at each other through screens, but then the opportunity to, that when we do get a chance to be together personally, you know, that, that time becomes much more valuable as a result of the time that we've spent you know, in this virtual environment. And I, and I see it time and time again, where, you know, registrations for events the following year post a live stream mm. have been far greater and the demand to come somewhere. And I'll give you one more example before we finish this little bit. But, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, the, 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 the phenomenon that is uh, esports and yes. esports e video gaming, everyone's sitting in their front room in their bedroom at night playing these games. And as, as that, has evolved from you know the Nintendos and the Ataris and, and the, the Playstations into this kind of global industry. One of the most valuable uh, assets now that that industry has got is the live event that supports the, the virtual game. Yeah. So you're, you're seeing cities invest in dedicated esports arenas. But, but the reason they're doing it is because the audience that they're attracting to come and see it live which is incredible i'm going to come and watch you play a game <laughs> it's just but it's but it's the for me as someone in the events industry it's just so exciting that, that something which would appear on the surface to be the kind of antithesis of yeah. what we're about actually becomes this incredible complementary force it's the youtube events isn't it as well you know the the, the a, a platform that people argue is going to lead to disconnect amongst people because they're all just going to sit at home huddled in a corner with their eyes glued to to youtube um has actually not necessarily flipped on its head but the reverse to that is that is the live events now that youtubers get together and and, and we'll all meet up under one roof and and the audience get to meet the people who are delivering the content um i mean you talk to talk to my son who's 11 um about actually i should know that but uh, um, <laughs> talk to him about dan tdm yeah and you know that's that's if you think if we think of the icons when we were growing up i mean these are the, the people this this you know boxing so there you've got another live sporting event you've got youtube stars boxing yep. each other 
which in the first instance actually was here in Manchester, I think, and it, and it was a very popular event, but it's, it's doing bigger box office than regular boxing matches. And what you're now seeing is you're, you're seeing actual boxers on the undercard of yeah. a YouTube boxing match, which is actually sold out an arena. Well, I'll give you as well the example before we move on from this little section. Uh, the F2 freestylers, two guys who, as far as I'm aware, didn't make it as professional footballers, although they were in oh. academies and stuff when they were younger, have built a following of 10.7 million people on YouTube with their videos of them doing football tricks and crazy yeah. videos of, of, of shooting and curling the ball into the top corner from 40 yards. Yeah. You know, these guys have probably better paid now than most of the lower league professional footballers who are playing the game properly because they built an audience via, via YouTube. And um, yeah, I think esports, the emergence of esports arenas, I think the reconfiguration of mm. some existing spaces to be able to accommodate esports the investment in technology, because it's not necessarily about physical infrastructure, it's about that technical connectivity that you're going to need, because audience, uh, uh, an esports audience are going to be, they're going to be indexing at the really high end of, 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 of technical, you know, integration and, and technical consumption. So, so you've got to make sure that not only can the event get the, the quality that it needs in terms of technical support, but actually all of the audience can as well. Um, and uh, I think from our perspective, you know, we look at that and, it, and it's really exciting. And I know that the city of Manchester, when we look at our overall event strategy, our, our, our industrial strategy, we look at major events. Uh, and in the past, you'd look at, well, it's the marathon, it's the conferences, it's maybe one or two big gigs, it's a couple of big football matches, and it's the Christmas markets, and it's, you know, in certain other years, it might be Commonwealth Games or whatever. But oh, yeah. I can guarantee guarantee that esports being being the location for some esports final or or, or or some esports championship is definitely featuring on our list as we go for the next you know one two three four years something like that absolutely um we've spoken about a lot about the sort of the tech side of things and the connectivity which and rightly so because as you've clearly demonstrated that the venue is is very much at the heart of 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 pushing the virtues of a well-connected well-integrated venue um in the 21st century another key facet for event organizers now is, is the subject of sustainability um it's something that has, uh, uh, has sort of not necessarily crept in but become something that's more and more frequently talked about in the industry over the last few years um and sustainability encompasses all sorts of aspects of an event and um i was keen whilst we had the opportunity today and had you on the podcast to find out as a venue and as a leading venue you know how you're approaching this subject of sustainability as a venue and in terms of meeting the requirements of sustainability from your own customers? Yeah, so a uh, couple of things on this. I think you go back a few years, you know, sustainability um, would always be part of a client's decision-making process. You know, there'd always be that part of a bid where you respond to that element. What we're seeing increasingly is that, that instead of that being tucked away on page 15 or whatever, it's, it's up there and the first or second item that you need to satisfy. So. Um, and that's that's because the it's not just organizers, PCOs, agencies, and so on, but it's the ultimate clients themselves that are looking at their own um, whether it's footprints or whatever. But they're saying we we've got to have a, we've got a policy that says 
we are going to make these efforts, these attempts. Therefore, everything that we do has to match that. And, and so whether they're running an event or whether they're just running their office or whether they're running their, their normal business operations, uh, it, it's got to meet certain requirements. And we're seeing that increasingly prevalent on the bids that we respond to. So as a, as a venue, you know, we, we take it pretty seriously. Um, we've, we've been managing, if you take physical sustainability, things like recycling, waste management, for example, we've, yeah. for many years, we've maintained our own on-site recycling um, facility here, plant at, at, at the rear of the venue. So we, we ensure that all of the, the, the waste that we do have, and, we, and we, we put a lot of effort into minimizing the waste that actually comes out of the venue, but the waste we do have is, is appropriately sorted um, and dealt with um, in line with the, the recycling arrangements that we've got with our, with our local providers. Yeah. We are a zero to landfill um, uh, facility here. So, um, you know, for, for, for many years, we, we, we've had that accolade. We've, we've uh, invested in international standards around sustainability and we're, we're proud holders of the ISOs that, um, that are required really, the absolute requirement now in the industry. Sure. Um, Food wastage um, is another key uh, topic that we are addressing. We, uh, we manage all of our hospitality offer in-house. So we have our own exec chef, we have our own kitchens. We do all of that um, here in-house. We, we have a kind of a proactive approach to prevention rather than cure. So we're, we're, we're working closely with organizers to ensure that we're not overproducing, we're not, we're not over-purchasing. We try yeah. and that balance really really sharp so that we, we're, we're not over procuring in, in that area and then when we do have food wastage which any event organizer will know uh, happens um, we're looking at ways that we can um, uh, uh, you know get something else out of it and so in fact just today we've been on social media talking about some of our food wastage going into biofuel um, uh, reproduction so we'll be sending certain elements of our food waste into a specialist provider that turns it into a biofuel. So that's right. And, and clearly where possible, we'll work with local, local charities and local organizations where if there's an opportunity or a market for us to redistribute um, foodstuffs, yeah. appropriate foodstuffs, because you can't redistribute all foodstuffs, but stuff that has the right shelf life or is, 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 uh, can be distributed at an ambient temperature without any, um, without any re regulatory uh, challenges yeah yeah we will then we'll do that as well so that's that's really important um and as a venue it, it it's it's right that you should be looking at that and it's right that you should be leading the way because as many people know as some will not know that there are hundreds of venues in manchester aren't there there, there are you know there are loads and loads of of different venues of all shapes and sizes uh, and as the flagship events venue it's important that you're seen to be sort of leading the way on that. Yeah, no, we, we take that responsibility really seriously. I mean, we are, we're a publicly owned venue as well. So we're, we're effectively part of this, the local authority here in the city of Manchester. Um, as a city, we've made some, some declarations about our own uh, carbon ambitions. And we, we've declared that we're gonna become, in fact, Greater Manchester, not just the city of Manchester, but Greater Manchester, 10 boroughs, have committed to become carbon neutral by 2035, which is about 15 years ahead of the 2050 goal that the government has set for the country. Um, and you know, there's a lot, a lot of work to be done, and we we play our role in that. And so my, the, the appropriate members of my team will sit on the board that Andy Burnham, our, our mayor, leads for yep. the Green City Initiative. Um, and we'll, we'll, you know, simple things which 
sounds you know I'm almost embarrassed about talking it now, talking about it now. But it, but it 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 was relevant and is relevant, and we continue to push it. The stuff like being plastic free, yeah. you know, making sure that we don't unnecessarily give out straws, making sure that we're not dishing out plastic um, cups. Uh, and you know, we we just in this year we've installed some uh, water stations to allow people to refill uh, water bottles, and you know, we, we we've also got. Um, Within the venue, you can you can buy you know reusable cups and reusable bottles and stuff like that if you if you mm -hmm. come to our retail points. So we're we're trying to address that as well. But you know, cutlery, um, you know, plastic-free, disposable materials. So that you know, as we say in the industry, the dispo stuff. But all of yeah. the yeah, all yeah. of the trays and plates and 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 containers that we use to serve food um, uh, it, when you're in a conference environment. All of that, you know, we ensure that we. We can track the the recycling credentials of the materials that we're buying, um, and, and we continue to we continue to look for other, you know, simple and easy and quick ways to to reduce our our impact. What, what you know, what's interesting, for me when I, when I look at some of the events that get built, and I think this is an industry topic that we're going to have to get to grips with. But you know, and our industry is built on people coming into a venue, you know, effectively building. A, 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 a town but you know building a, a, a an exhibition hall of stand yeah. some of which are one or two stories high and, and contain you know quite a lot of material be it wood or or, or, or plastics vinyls floor coverings and so yeah. on um, and I think as, a, as an industry we need to ensure that we're doing all we can to to look for the just just as the building industry is embracing sustainable construction um, you know, uh, as an industry, we've got to do the same. And, you know, for example, the supplies that we bring in that, that lay our carpets, for example, we're able to understand exactly what happens to those carpets once they get pulled up and they either get reused or, in fact, a lot of them actually get taken to a specialist plant, effectively shredded down into a, a kind of a malleable material and then reused for, for other other topic, other, other, other applications. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and it's we've got we've got a dedicated team here in in central that are responsible for managing that 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 supply chain and that audit trail of exactly what happens because i think it's not good enough to say anymore oh yeah 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 we recycle all of our plastic job done you actually have to you have to know that that's what happens you know you yeah. have to know that it gets taken to this plant this is the process that is undertaken this is the material that's left afterwards. This is what gets used. You can't, it's not just, it's not, well, the way I look at it, it's not acceptable for us to just take, to take people at their, their word and say, yeah, 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 don't yeah. worry, it'll be fine. And that's not that there's any distrust that there. Yeah, it's not that there's, that there's a distrust there, but like you said, you know, as a venue and as a leading venue, if somebody does quiz you on it, it looks better for everybody if you can give them a, a really comprehensive answer and say, absolutely, this is where it goes. This is what happens. This is how it works. We know that we can say this to this and this and this to our clients rather than just, oh yeah, we've got a company that comes and, and sees to that and they're, they're accredited and they deal with it. Exactly. Um, and everyone's under so much more scrutiny, right, as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whether it's the organizer, the client, and look, we have some very, very high profile um, entities that come in into the into the venue here i mean next week we've got the conservative party coming in but we have we have major corporations um you know we have we have large associations all of whom have various kind of commentators friends uh, agitators whatever it might be and, <laughs> and and there's so much scrutiny 
of what people are doing and how people are doing it and um, you know big business is is under scrutiny for how it conducts itself and whether it's you know the, the climate crisis conversations yeah. or whether it's um, just 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 the the practices that that, that companies undertake you, you, it's not it's not acceptable just to say yeah you know yeah this is what we do it's fine because you know there'll be somebody that's got enough time on their hands to go and do the research and actually say actually that's not right or you say this but in fact this is what happens and so for us we, we and we've had to invest in it we've invested in, in people resource to do this but but we it's really important for us as a city that, that we're able to to, to measure and monitor that, that, that impact. And, and, and that applies to us as a business. And the last thing I'll say, part of our carbon goal um, uh, for the city is that we're, we're developing a civic quarter heat network, which is effectively a heat and power supply network for all of the civic buildings in the kind of central quarter here in, in Manchester. So that would include the new town hall refurbishment, the central library, Manchester Central Convention Centre, and then there's a couple of other buildings as well, a couple of hotels and a couple of other public buildings too. Um, we all at the moment have our own boilers, we all have our own electrical supplies, we have you know, an inordinate amount of, of, of different aged and different efficiency units providing heat sure. and power. Just a few, a couple of, well, probably about 50 yards away from me outside my office, we're, we're currently constructing a dedicated energy centre, which will be providing heat and power, not just to this facility, but to all of those buildings that I mentioned. And that's, that's being built in the footprint of Manchester Central um, and will be a feature of our business as we go forward. And, you know, economically, as, as I look at our capital programmes and what we've got to replace and, 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 and renew, then I've got something like 26 boilers at the moment, you know, and, and that's effectively being replaced with, you know, two brand new, highly efficient, modern heat generating um, uh, appliances, coupled with um, energy generating appliances as well. So we're, we're transforming how we, we generate and consume and distribute heat and power in the close proximity here in Manchester. And that's just part of the series of measures that we're going to be taking to achieve the kind of green city status that the mayor has set out for 2035. But if you, I suspect if you're coming to the venue here, probably, a, probably about a year from now, maybe 18 months from now, you know, if you're sitting in a conference and it's cold outside, but you're warm inside, the chances are it's our new, our new heat network that's providing that heat. So that's an, a, another great example of how, and you said this earlier um, about how you've got to always look to the future. This heat network is a 25, 30 year, in fact, I think, I think the actual term of the deal is longer than that, but let's say it's a, it's a 30 year investment in terms of how we're going to be generating and consuming power over that, over that particular period of time. So um, yeah. Yeah, any event organizer knows that your, your planning horizon is long, it's, it's two, three, four years. Um, but but infrastructure-wise, in, in the venue sense, it's 10, 15, 20 years that we're thinking ahead. Absolutely. And as I've said before on the podcast, it's, uh, it's the fourth road bridge. You know, you get to the end, you finish exactly. painting it and you just flip right back to the start again and, and away we go again. It's, a, it's an ever evolving cyclical process that, that, that venues will, will continue to go on because technology will never be static. It will continue to evolve. You know, as long as we're, we're around and on this earth, there will be new innovations. And as long as people are getting together to meet up and, and go to events, there will be new ways of doing that and new ways for venues and operators to have to, um, to have to look at and address. And I, th and I think that point is so valuable in that I, the, the desire for people to actually physically meet and congregate 
it's just going to increase because Absolutely. even though this this digital world we live in is allowing you know ubiquity of connection and 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 you know multiple um almost personas around at any time that, that you will not the amount of value you get from actually being able to get together in person i think will just take on this whole new this whole new kind of importance for us uh without being too philosophical about it but as, as humans <laughs> I think that, that, and i talked to my team about it i said you know ultimately we're the we are the ultimate uh, analog business you know we we rely physically on people coming together yeah um, and so how do we embrace the digital world and you know we, we, we we're we're into that in that we you know we've got other initiatives that we're looking at about the digital um streams or business ideas that we can generate here that will be complementary to our core business which is you know people are still going to want to come and meet each other Absolutely, they will do. They will always do that. We've been talking today on the podcast to Sean Hines. Sean is the CEO of Manchester Central, um, and it's been a fascinating insight into what the venue are doing with their technology, with their connectivity, with how they engage with the, the media outlets. We mentioned the stuff about Media City and the direct connections into there. Big time for them. We're recording this on the 25th of September. Next week, as Sean said, that, that they host the Conservative Party conference, which at the moment is a, a huge political hot potato, potentially. Um, so very good luck with that but Sean it's been fascinating talking today thank you very much for joining us on the podcast no, it's a pleasure absolutely enjoyed it thank if, you. If, if any of our uh, if any of our followers and, and watchers and listeners today do want to find out a little bit more about Mentor Central and, and perhaps get in touch with your team directly um, tell us how they can find out about you and how they can get in touch yeah so you can find us uh, on all of the actually not all of them because we're not on Facebook but uh, we're on all of the other ones um, and it's uh, at MCR underscore central and that's on instagram or on twitter you can find us there or info at if you want to go old school info at manchestercentral.co.uk that's an email address that we can see uh, or you can find me on different social media accounts as well my twitter account sean hines uh, s-h-a-u-n-h-i-n-d-s you can find me there happy to engage Fantastic. Sure, sure. Brilliant. Um, if you're watching today's podcast via the Event Industry News website, don't forget to click on all the other aspects of the website. Have a look at some of the latest features, news and stuff that's going on, as well as the supplier directories. If you're looking for suppliers within the events industry, of course, if you are on the website and you would like to listen to audio only versions of this podcast, go to your favorite podcast platform and you can find audio versions of all the Event Industry News podcast episodes going back right to when we started a few years ago loads of different subjects loads of different topics that we've talked about over the years something for everybody on there for now it brings us neatly to the end of today's episode our thanks once again to sean hines from manchester central my name's james dixon and we'll see you on the next edition of the event industry news podcast thanks very much goodbye mm -hmm.